This concludes our programming for today. We welcome any comments you may have regarding our programming. And now, our national anthem. Close my eyes 
night, listeners. Welcome to an all-new Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day. And we have an interview. I promised we would have an interview uh, this year. It, and I, I think I may have done one in the, in the wintertime. I've been really bad about it. But it, we are in interview land, and we have Mike Epting of the Slim Tones from the, the 90s Iowa City lo-fi garage slash uh, dorm room, bedrooms, uh, era as i call it for uh for the, uh the the punk rock scene i don't even know if i would want to call it punk rock sort of like that was almost like the alter like punk rock was turning into alternative and then grunge was getting thrown at it too um it was a wild time but mike thank you for being on the show it's it's my pleasure thank you for um for being such a wonderful curator of these these gems you know uh Mike, I want to know about your early years. Um, what, what got you into music, DIY culture? Because um, I didn't realize when you when you we first started talking how involved you were, especially with the recording scene. Um, but like, let's let's go back to like high school, maybe even earlier. Like, what what was inspiring you? Like, what where were you like even learning about music um, in your early years? I mean, like initially, like if I go way back. It, at some point I just became a metalhead in, you know, middle school and pretty much exclusively listened to Iron Maiden. Didn't really care about anything else. Started getting into Pink Floyd too, which sort of connects and sort of doesn't. I don't know. Um, then in high school, I was in Des Moines and um, I met Adam Svensson, who was the, um, I guess, the guru of Squirrel Energy now. Although, of course, that didn't exist in, in high school. But he began introducing me to other music. His older brother, Eric Svensson, was in um, The Holloman. He's their bass player. So I think it was one of those situations where cool older brother is introducing younger brother to cool music. And that guy is introducing cool music to me. So he first introduced me to things like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr., the, the things at the time were called college rock, but became alternative um, when that became more of a, a, a genre. Um, you know, just stuff like that. I, I can remember sitting in a, my high school bedroom at night, like with the lights off, listening to a cassette that he made of, uh, it was Soundgarden, uh, Ultra Mega OK on one side, and then uh, a, Isn't Anything by My Bloody Valentine on the other side. And I would just sit there and listen. And it was, I, I guess it, it, it was just, I don't know, it was a cool time of music. And just, I think when, when you think of a tape with Soundgarden on one side and My Bloody Valentine on the other, you kind of see what was, like, that's what music was happening. And it was neat that, yeah, this heavy and then, you know, weird ethereal, but you could, like, enjoy both of them. And it, it, it's all Adam's fault. Adam is the the one that um germinated all of this in me so i mean were you were you performing yet um what got uh, you into being I, you a know musician? i don't i don't even really know what started it other than you know maybe just being in music and and my family i would say was moderately musical um no one really pursued it as like you know, a career or anything, but, um, my father was, a um, in the Episcopal church was a priest at that point, he was a bishop, but in his earlier years in the sixties, he'd been kind of a folky 
you know, so they were always, you know, guitar. They had a couple guitars laying around and he could he could do, you know, bad three chords on the piano and, and stuff like that. So there was always kind of music floating around. But it wasn't like, you know, you hear some stories of people who, you know, whose father was, you know, a musician and they became a musician. Um, I, I'm guessing it's just little bits of, you know, a little bit from my father, you know, pretty sure Adam when I met him, played guitar. So that may have been, it, you know, it's hard to tell now. It's been a while um, to, you know, remember all the details. But um, I just remember at some point, uh, I wanted to I wanted to play bass. Not sure why, just wanted to play bass, but we couldn't find anyone who was selling one. And I think even at that point, it didn't click in my head that there were stores that sold things like that. I just, I guess I assume they just magically appeared somehow. Um, but I believe it was a friend of Adam's, another guy named Mike, who had a guitar for sale. And it was just a POS, like balsa wood, just piece of garbage. I painted a misfit skull on it, you know, with probably some white like testers enamel paint and uh, just went from there. I think um, I've always considered my guitar playing to be precisely sloppy, if that makes any sense. Like I was, I'm admittedly a bit of a wanker and and taking pride in trying to play well, but sometimes my fingers, now I, I often would rely on more distortion than was necessary. I think some of it stems from that point of having that garbage guitar and then actually miss seeing my dad showed me how to tune it just open without a tuner, just the, with the, you know, Finger on the fifth fret, low string, da da da. They should be the same. I saw his finger wrong, so I thought it was open string to fifth fret. So I was trying to tune the guitar totally weird, and then trying to play along to some Led Zeppelin songbook, and it was just a nightmarish wreck. Um, and then I had a, a high school band, and my father and mother will deserve a place in heaven for tolerating that cacophony. But um, so I think that's what kind of we used to I don't know how often we did it. I, like in other conversations, I've probably talked it up more than what we did. But it seemed like we would we would have a show in quotes, meeting my basement. And just other high school friends would come over and we would just play terrible. I don't know how the songs were written because I couldn't really play, but I felt like I was writing the songs. I think I was just single note playing a rhythm and then this other guy named Wade who was a more accomplished guitar player fleshed them out and we had a few like I think we played a we played a Black Sabbath song and I remember we added a verse to it of our own because we couldn't figure out how to play the bridge so we needed to lengthen it <laughs> um but yeah so all that stuff would happen um Adam was a year older than me and so he went off to school the University of Iowa and he would come back and, you know, on breaks and then we'd kind of jam in the basement and just just goof around. And, and he had this sweet little yellow Corolla and we just slap tapes in it, and drive around Des Moines and, you know, he'd have some cool new thing. And, you know, and it, he was always leading me. I, I doubt I ever introduced him to anything. But um, what year was this? What year this, was this when all this was going on? Is this 80s? This would, this would have been uh, 88 to 90, probably. So I gradu yeah, in 91. I graduated high school in 91. 
so something I just want to show you something via Zoom. This just came in the mail today. So I've, aside from putting the demos, the CDRs, and the tapes up on the Bandcamp archive, I am starting two other archives. One's going to be video. The other one are PDFs of zines, and I have here from Ankeny, if you can see it, Happy Goat. And I'm not sure if you if you were. Uh, if you had your finger on the pulse of when some of these things were going around. I know in the mid-90s, they had Spank Zine. Um, yeah, that was the Stuff Guys, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, I'm totally drawing a blank. There was... Um, I wasn't super familiar with the Zine stuff until I... And even when I was familiar with it, I, I didn't pursue it. But by the time I was in college, it was certainly more... Um, familiar to me but i'm trying to oh thumper there was a zine called thumper out of des moines and i believe adam did some stuff for it um but i i only remember seeing like one issue although i i feel like i i think i have it somewhere i don't know where but i feel like it had a number higher than one on it so either someone was being sneaky and wanted to make it look like there'd been more or there are other issues so maybe one of those will come by if i find it i'll be more than happy to to get it off to you you can have a a perusal oh that'd be great i mean i mean there was and this is off topic for a second a couple years ago probably about about a decade ago they had um up at you and i they had the uh secret history of the cedar valley which was a uh is that a website too poster it was a wiki it it went down though they took it down i I totally Um, remember seeing that and i hope with basement tapes that we can expand and do something, you know, again, statewide, because there's all these pockets of scenes that ha- took place. Sioux City had a scene. Mason City had a scene. Cedar Falls, Waterloo had a scene. Dubuque, Iowa City, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines. I mean, everyone, Davenport, the Quad Cities. Yeah, you know. yeah. I definitely know the Davenport went a little bit, but. Yeah, they were, they were pretty fun. Um, we need to get into your first um uh, playlist item here. Um, so I'm not sure if you have those. Well, I know I wanted to start up. with box boy because box boy is Adam Svensson. Okay. Box boy. Now I don't know much. I don't think I know anything about box boy. Um, uh, you know, that was just his nom de guerre or whatever for his lo-fi recording. Um, I don't know if there's a song on the first squirrel energy comp that is specifically box boy. He did have a, um, another a squirrel energy release it was one side box boy and the other side ed gray that will be coming your way eventually um but cool. and i think this song might be on that comp but i pulled it from one of the southeast comps i don't remember which okay. one i don't know if it was the high as a knife one or the death of your culture comp that i sent you but that sounds like it might be high as a knife because high as a knife was a was a very lo-fi bedroom style um, compilation tape, um, yeah, very different could, than yeah. anything else that Southeast did. Um, and actually, after we come back from the songs, I want to actually you know I want to get into more punk rock stuff, but I kind of want to talk about Southeast records with you because you experienced Southeast after the original Iowa comps, the first two LPs came out and you were part, kind of part of that tape culture with Southeast records. And I, and I can't, I can't say it enough how important Southeast records was to the entire Iowa music scene. And I, and it, and it seems like when I bring it up now, no one knows who the hell it, who they were, yeah, or what yeah. they were. 
<laughs> you know. But anyways, uh, here's Box Boy on Iowa Basement Tapes.
Night listeners, welcome back to Iowa Basement Tapes. You just heard Randy Ike, War Room. You may have noticed uh, Randy Ike's recordings. Two of his recordings are now up at the Iowa Basement Tapes Bandcamp archive. Thanks to our guest, Mike Epting. Um, Mike, I had never heard of Randy Ike until I'm not sure was he was he part of that tr- the 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 Squirrel Energy Now group was he actually on that first comp? I don't know if he was on the first comp. I don't even know how. At this point, I can't even remember how he got into the the Squirrel Energy thing. I my assumption is that um, he and Adam somehow met. I'm assuming since Iowa City being a college town, it was probably in class, and they probably you know, obviously talked and found out they shared interests and, um, you know, one thing led to another. And I believe that the, um, that was it the Midwest bear worshiping support group, I think is the name of his, the tape that, that was the first, I think that's the second release on squirrel energy. So, um, but yeah, so he, he just, became like a part of our group like we were buddy i i ended up playing and he ended up being in we're in bands together i'm sure we'll talk about that stuff later um but at least for me to me he was so amazing because he was the like before you know i think he was a guy who had the four track and i remember adam borrowing it i think adam even borrowed the four track from randall before i even met randall and we, you know, we'd dork around with it and try to figure out how things would work. But Randall was the first dude who, like, I met that I felt like he made an album out of what he was recording. Like, all those songs on that tape worked together. Like, it seemed like most of the, uh, everyone else, you know, we're, you know, we're writing songs and we put them on stuff and we'd show them off. But to have a co- cohesive unit... So and then to come from a four track, to me it was just so it was so neat, so creative, and um, just what he would do was. Now, is this what got you into? You talked about the four track recording. Is this kind of what got you really thinking about recording? Yeah, bands? you know, for I mean, just just the process of you know doing it myself, like taking my you know garbage songs and recording the guitar and then recording a vocal and then another guitar and then dumping it to another track. So you could keep, you know, layering and, and things like that, you know, experimenting and then realizing that there were other people who probably wanted to do similar things, but maybe didn't have access to a four track. My, um, <laughs> I don't know if they still do it, but when I was at the university of Iowa, the, the college bookstore at the beginning of the year, you'd go buy your books and in the bag, there was an application for a credit card. They put it in like everyone's bag. And that's how someone got their first four track. Ah. Yeah, I found some bundle uh, deal. That, is, that seems so dangerous to me. Oh, offering. I couldn't agree. I It seemed dangerous to me at the time as a dumb 19-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I remember when I when I when I talked to Dan Loy, I think he had talked about um I think it was Dan. Um did you got was was there a, before you had yours, could you rent one for a recorder from the Yeah, yeah, he was talking about you guys uh 
even had the the music store right, but I, I'm drawing a blank, like West or something like that. It was I remember it was in Coralville. West Music. Yeah. Yep. 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 West Music. So you could go out there, and I remember you know. I don't remember what gear you most of the times it was just going out there to look at gear and very rarely buying anything, you know, as you do when you have, you know, no money and, and your credits shot because because you bought a four track. I was going to say, well, unless you're a college student with a fresh credit card, uh, <laughs> you know, then you're just like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pretty much I pretty much maxed out that. I think it was like two hundred and fifty dollars or something. And I got a, a Fostex X28. And some sort of no-name dynamic mic. Right. Right. Now, when you – I mean, so you guys start playing with four tracks. I mean, um, has – had the Slim Tones formed yet or – actually, we should talk about – I want to hear your side of the story of the formation of the Slim Tones. We've got Dan's. Yeah, so that first year, I don't have any recollection, at least with regard to him. But I did know Adam, who I mentioned was a year older than me. So he'd gone up to the University of Iowa. And so I'm pretty sure at some point, maybe late spring, so early 92, probably um, the summer of 92, he was starting to borrow a four track. So I was starting to get, um, you know, a little practice and just an idea of what it was. It's also coincidentally when Pavement's first album came out and we saw Pavement at Gabe's like that summer. So you know, lo-fi was definitely bubbling up and, and Adam always had his finger on the pulse of music more, I think, than I did. I just sort of got through osmosis a lot of stuff from him. And he was buddies with people at the Record Collector, which is still in Iowa City, if I'm not mistaken. Great record store. I mean, yeah. I go there every time in town. Yeah, it was it was. This was when it was like, I think, up in a room in a, an old house or something. Like it was, it was downtownish, but it was not, you know, you walked up these rickety stairs and it was little, I mean, it was awesome. It's exactly what, you know, a record store in an indie film should look like. Like, I mean, yeah. it was, it was cast perfectly for that. Totally. I mean, I remember, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been to it where it's currently at, which is, uh, um, across the street from the library kind of now, um, and before that, though, on the Ped Mall, um, I yeah. remember going and that's the location that I wasn't went to in high school. And I got to tell you, the music I discovered by going in there, you know, I mean, I felt I've always and I think everyone always kind of feels that way. You're, you're like, I, I'm five years too late to the cool scene. And you get in there and I would see all these records from bands that were from the area. Uh, but I also like I was getting into noise stuff, um, which is a whole other thing. And I would go in there and I'm like, what sounds like this? And they were like, here's this Japanese punk band, Milk Banana. You need to check oh, yeah, it yeah. out. You, you know what I mean? Adam, and it, Adam was <laughs> huge into the like noise stuff, like any Robin sort of, Gristle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I that was were, the, like the, the big one I remember that he introduced me to. And uh, it's funny that Tim Franson from Tim. Uh, I reached, we made contact. It's probably been like eight or nine years ago now, but I told him I'd send him a bunch of CDs. You know, I'd burn some CDs. Well, you know, how, how high tech is that? And he basically said, Hey, you can send me anything except don't send Carolina. There's a noise band. I don't know if they, they might even still be around Carolina rainbow. They are still around. They are still around. I have two of their records. They're still around. Yeah, and they're all, are they still like hand making them and like, 
Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I mean, I had to like double bag them. I got them at a record store um, owned by Aaron Dillaway um, called Hanson Records, and and uh, um, I think it was Ohio Oberlin College, a, a record store very similar to what Record Collector is. Um, and Aaron Dillaway, he's part of the he was part of the outfit Wolf Eyes and a big experimental okay. guy, and I bought. I remember seeing like a box full of them, and no one was buying them. And I, I bought a handful. I mean, I, I don't uh, get it. You know? they're, they're, I mean, I guess you got to be in the right mood. But, man, sometimes when they're you're in weird, that mood. hippie. That was like, I, I don't remember it because they always have these, like, you know, paragraphs for, you know, album. Because they always they would always change, I think, the name of it. It would be Carolinar and then something. I think the one yes. I'm thinking of was called Carolinar Rear End Hernia Puppet. Yep, uh, they had so many different names, and they had their weird costumes, and it yeah. was like sort of whip hippie jam band. If you ever jam, I've ever played a sunburned hand of man. Uh, they were just so lo-fi, but they could get away with it. They weren't like hippie jam band, like Fish or anything like that. It was just like if you were, if you, it's almost like you were listening the way that maybe a fan of fish would be listening to them like on acid. And that's what, whatever, how they're processing fish. That's sort of what Carolina sounds like to a sober person, you know, I I kind of see. I know that's a weird analogy. To me, it's more like, it's like the hippie who intentionally takes bad acid and thinks fish (laughs) sucks. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but there, it, it was it was definitely a record that, and I think we, I know we did it at least once, where it was the end of a party, and it was like, we're going to find out who our real friends are. Um, we need to get into your next song, and I kind of want to pick it for you, um, because we started talking please, about Slim Tones. Um, let's talk about Slim Tones, um, because... I first heard them on the Squirrel Energy Now tape, and then Dan sent me over the demo um, with all the songs on. And I think I found you guys on another comp as well. I can't remember. I, I, no, it was one of the comps you sent over. Um, and I can't remember which one. I'm going to have to defer to to Dan's interview as to how it all started, because I really have no recollection. I've had, you know, other than I knew him, and somewhere at some point we decided to form a band we had some similar influences and similar likes i always gave them garbage about liking the replacements but it was unfounded the replacements are a great band um but i had great fun <laughs> telling him that they weren't um but yeah at some point we just started practicing and as he said we were doing it in uh, um i can't remember he may have said what the dorm was it's it's i mean all dorms are their own little wonderful nightmares so Right, right. So, which which song is this um, from Slim Tones? Uh, is it "Out of County Range" from the um, Herd Mentality comp, I believe? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Out of County Range, and and I wasn't sure if it was Dan sent me the Herd Mentality stuff, or it might have been Ian Miller who was in the band. Um, that name really that rings a bell. That's one of the wonderful things about the Iowa City scene at that time is that. Iowa City is not a big town, and yet there were enough bands that you might be familiar with the name, but you might not necessarily know the people. Splayed Innards, Ian Miller. I interviewed yeah, yeah. Him. Oh, I yeah. Interview you interviewed him, him, him too. Yeah. Yeah, Splayed yeah, yeah, yeah. Innards. He sent me the, he sent me the, I think this is the first herd mentality, um, the, the first uh, from the Feedlot uh, music co op from 1997. There was, there was a Feedlot 
um, I think Land of Dirt was their first compilation. I don't know if that's up on your site. If if not, I can. That one's not. Okay. Um, yeah, he sent over. He sent over this, and there it is. There's the out of county range by the Slim Tones. Awesome. Oh, I love the crossover. I love the crossover with all you guys. Uh, anyways, here's uh, Slim Tones out of county range off the uh, herd mentality compilation by the uh, Feedlot Music Co-op in Iowa City, 1997. Right here on Iowa Basement Tapes.
that's okay. Mr. Jack will snap your spine, cut you in half with a scaly vine. Dad, a monster's real. A fairy tale born from a legend. A truth more terrifying than the tale. So perfect that in the night, okay? Only one man had the courage to stand against the forces of darkness. But when a secret that lay dormant for nearly a century is accidentally unearthed, a vicious avenger is summoned to fulfill an age-old prophecy. Send us a demon from hell. They are quick before you die. Mr. Jack will steal your eyes. Mr. Jack will. Mr. Jack will. Guided by a vision, the young boy stands between good and evil. Haunted by his family's secret past, he must face and fulfill his destiny. Only Sean can stop this monster. Give us the boy back! in the shadows. Fear has a new soldier. And terror has a new name. Jack will steal your soul. Jacko. Night listeners, welcome back to Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day, with special guest Mike Epting, and you just heard Bixby, like you but fatter. That was uh, This is all part of Mike's um, Iowa playlist, um, who has graciously shared um, a great deal of his collection onto our archive, including this Bixby tape, which is excellent uh no sweat exercise is the the name of the the, the i want to call it a record but the name of the demo um tell it's me about bixby six songs. Because, it's an ep right <laughs> yeah 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 uh tell us about bixby because i i'd heard the name before i had not i don't think i've really explored any of their music um but uh you know i've had people like comment on the archives you know there's a little bit of riot girl in there but i hear a little bit of 90s grunge that sort of I don't care attitude 
you know, in it as well. You know, I don't I don't know if you've ever seen the hype, which is a documentary about the Seattle scene. Um, yes. Kind of like right before 91 and it blowing up. And I don't remember who's talking about it, but someone's basically saying, like, the reason why the music was good is because no one thought it would anywhere. They could just do whatever they wanted. They weren't trying to please anyone but themselves. And it just I think there was a similar vibe going on, probably nationwide. But, you know, there's a reason these you know, scenes happen. All this stuff had been bubbling up, probably starting from, you know, the early college, you know, with the Sonic Youths and the the whole underground, the Fugazis, all that stuff. And it just starting to f- move into the, the, the general uh, vibe of the time. But, um, but with regard to Bixby, um, I met Meredith through uh, Joyce Ventimiglia, who was the bass player in Ambush Number no. 5, of which I believe at that point I was a member. Um, I think it was, you know, just meeting socially. And then somehow at the same time, I, you know, I was still four tracking and kind of, I don't know if I'd recorded any one other than either myself or bands I was in. Bixby might be the first time I recorded a band I was not a part of. Um, when I first met them, it was Meredith McGuire, um, Sarah Warren, and Angie Garner. Um, and I think Meredith was uh, an Iowa City born and bred, but I feel like she had moved out of town and had come back. Sarah had come from Oberlin. There's another Oberlin connection, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she was in a band called Little, Little Switzerland when she was there that... Um, you have a, a comp up on the Iowa Basement tapes. It was like another collection of super kick-ass music, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. That's Scam Records. Yes. That I, I think I've mentioned in an email. That was started by Jamie Schwazer, who I believe was attending Oberlin. And so Little Switzerland had had a, a release on Scam Records. Um, I actually have another Scam comp that I need to digitize for you that predates the... I think it was a vinyl-only release that has cool. like Los Marauders and some other stuff on it. Um, cool. But yeah, so some, you know, I met them and I'm sure just the scene being the scene though, they wanted to record and we recorded that, that the initial lineup, I don't think anything came of those recordings because um, they did release a tape, but that the tape that they initially released was done by Bob out of precision noise. Um, but then Angie, I think the gentleman from Splayed Ennards mentioned it too, and you remind me that she, Bixby had toured and Angie had met, I think it was Molotov Cocktail was the band in um, New York City. And so she left to join them, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so she left and then Bixby got a, a dude named Mike Hoff, who was also connected to the Squirrel Energy Now scene. I can't for the life of me remember what his recording name was it may have been creeping charlie i have to look through my my squirrel energy tapes to confirm that so i could be incorrect there but he joined we recorded again and that's what became that's that's the tape um yeah definitely you know like you said there's the the riot girl thing was going on so you know, whether by intent or design that always gets applied. Ambush number five got 
I don't want to say tarred with it because I don't necessarily think it was a negative. Like it was a great scene. That was one thing that I really appreciated about my time in the Iowa City scene is I felt like, like it wasn't weird that women were playing music. It just was. And like, as, as it should be, it shouldn't be weird. It should just be. So that was just really cool. Music. I think in, in those types, in, in, the, in, in a town that is very art driven, like Iowa city yeah. or Seattle, um, and you're all, everyone's a part of it. It has, there is no, it, it's not as, I mean, I know Iowa, but there parts of Iowa that are not, I mean, still not, unfortunately, um, see things that way and yeah. it's uh you know i um you know des moines des moines and iowa city being what i would consider the liberal capitals of the state of iowa in a lot of ways um yeah you know, well, even when i was there <laughs> i mean des moines was not looked at you know as like a real cultural hub like at that time if you were staying in iowa and you had it the slightest creative bent or artistic bent or any sort of bent, you went to Iowa City. Cause, or you yeah. left the state. Because, I mean, you know, people you know, people don't want to get <laughs> spit on or beat up. or you know, So you're going to go to no. some place where it feels safe and where there's culture. And that's where it resided at the time. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember even going to Iowa City a lot when I was in high school. I, would, I went to Prairie. And I would drive down when as soon as I got my license, I'd drive to Iowa City, go to Record Collector. There used to be a little zine store in one of those Ped Mall, like you go up the rickety stairs and yeah, some yeah, weird yeah. hallway. It was like I a zine I remember store. what that was called. There was like a zine store, a bondage store, and then a head shop, all in the same little, you know, hallway. Yeah, I used to go when I, you know, was there, there was a short period of time where there was a used clothing store up there called Mohair Pear. Which I believe there might still be the original one in Waterloo, Cedar Falls. And it was started by Barb. She was the bassist with House of Large Sizes. Um, I want to talk about Southeast Records and the, you know, because you you guys, I feel like, got the tail end of it. Because it started to, it fizzled out, I think, towards the end of the 90s. And there seemed to be a lot of different labels going on, too, at the same time. Southeast had been taken over by a guy named Pete Schultz, I think. And maybe um, there was another guy named Lance Lau, who I think was also a part of it. I don't know if he was a part of that high as a knife, but I feel pretty confident he was a part of the um, death of your culture comp and some of the Southeast seven inches that came like Otis, I think. Um, But I, 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 I think you know, someone seeing the Squirrel Energy comp and then probably having some familiarity with how Southeast had operated. And my my impression is that of the Southeast vibe was that it was a label that would just pass to whoever was willing to utilize it. You know, I don't think it, you know, I, I doubt there were any contracts or paperwork signed. You know what I mean? Like, um. But I do, I so I remember getting a call at some point by, I'm pretty sure it was this, if I'm remembering the name correctly, Pete. And I'm, I'm, there's some other Squirrel Energy comp where Pete Schultz is thanked. So I think that's who it is. But he thought that Black Ink Pen, which was another band that I was in, was a band. 
but it was just me. But he was trying. That was to get, you. I did, I didn't realize that was you. Yeah. So he Black got a hold of me to get my band to come to Davenport to play at Stickman's, which was like a I guess a cool place at the time. I only played there the one time, and all I really remember about it was that we had a lot of fun because we brought some friends up. We brought our own crowd of you know like four, um, and uh, we got paid in free beer which at the time seems pretty awesome until it clicked that I think it was the day after St. Patty's Day. So we got the green beer for free from the day before. But it was still, but I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was, it was us and I think Otis and a band called Dick Justice that I'm pretty sure was from Champaign-Urbana. So initially it was me singing and guitar. I use the term singing loosely. Um, Adam Svensson was going to play drums and um, a woman named Marin Tomlin was going to play bass. Marin had never played anything before. And it, basically after one practice, we were like, yeah, the bass isn't working out. Why don't you try the drums? So that worked. So she started playing drums. Adam played bass and it became a band. Um, and we played Stickman's and we actually, because um, you were talking about Davenport earlier, I'm Pretty sure we played Davenport more than Iowa City. There was a place called Smile Coffee House. Um, it's uh, run by a, uh, a couple, John and Lena. That was it was downtown Davenport, and my dad and stepmother lived in Davenport for a number of years. Um, you know, after I long since after I had moved out of uh, Iowa, but I visited them, and the downtown Davenport was much different in the '90s. Like I remember empty storefronts, smile coffee shop. I think there was there was some rock gut bar across the street and like a teriyaki place. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just mm -hmm. nothing. There might have been, you know, I'm sure there were probably other businesses, but they were all nine to five stuff. There was no yeah. like nightlife. I don't even know how we connected with them, but we went up there pretty often. And then we got some other bands like I'm pretty sure it was either Mold or Carmine went up there once and play or over there with like ambush. Um, Ed Gray went up there. Randy Ike went up there. Um, so it definitely, there was a little back and forth, but. Um, so we're wrapping up. We're going to wrap it up here. I want to get into, is, is, what was the last song? Was it ambush? Did you pick an ambush song as your, one of your. Yeah. Songs? Yeah. So after, um, so slim tones trucked along for a while. And then um, at some point, I had plans to move to Minneapolis and I wasn't going to go to school anymore, but those plans fell through, but I didn't go back to school. Um, and around that time I met uh, people like Joyce Ventimiglia, who was the bass player in Ambush and John Booker and a lot of the other scenesters. Cause a lot of those people had been, you know, typical Iowa stuff, either, you know, they were townies or they were just, you know, they'd take some classes and take a break and, you know, which is, a cool way of, you know, it was, it was nice that Iowa City could afford that sort of, you know, bohemian lifestyle, I guess you'd say. Um, but Ambush was in between guitarists. They, the earliest lineup that I'm aware of was Joyce Ventimiglia, uh, Sarah Price, who is now kind of uh, biggish in film, I guess you could say. She did recently did an L7 documentary that I think got some buzz. Um, uh, Tally Trimble, I think, 
I know her first name was Tally. I think it was Tremble on vocals and uh, Nick Diablo or Nick Ray, who was in um, Los Diablos yeah. del Sol and is now in um, uh, Viva American Death Ray music, I think. Um, but he left for whatever reason. I, he seemed to always be like a big mover and shaker. He was, he was a big fish in that scene. But he seemed to be one of the few people that, at least as far as I'm aware, would play out of town a lot. Like he and a, another guy named Craig Ziegenhorn were, knew how to do the underground touring scene. Like, I don't know if you've heard of or, you know, Book Your Life. I think Maximum Rock and Roll used to put out this yes. pa- paper, you know, book every year of, you know, you pick a town, you find the basement that'll have you. And they they did. Well, Mike, thank you for being on the show, uh, and thank you for all your contributions to this archive. And I know you still have some coming. I mean, this this, this was a massive load of material here, and it's uh, you know, I get I get notes from people who aren't from Iowa who listen to the show, and I always hear like you keep finding more stuff, and it's like, and one guy even told me Iowa has too many has had too many bands, and I'm like, but the thing is, is like. Every area, every state has had a scene and micro and scenes within those scenes. And you know what I mean? Everyone's had it. That's the whole point of this. I mean, well, to close us out, here's Ambush off the Minstrel Recordings. Uh, This song is called Lullaby. Good night, everybody. And we'll see you next week on Iowa Basement Tapes.
Iowa Basement Tapes is produced by Christian Day Media and is distributed across the state of Iowa on community and public radio stations. If you miss a show, be sure to check out the podcast archives on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, and Spotify.